This is Black Country Blokes Tune the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the moms, especially on my own. Let's get going. I've been here. This is Black Country Blokes, Tuna Fat, with me, Kev Dillon, Lee Cabman, Craig Pinches, Aaron Jew. And today we're, we're joined by Chris from the Samaritans. Now, a lot of people have heard of the Samaritans and all the good work they do, but I want to get someone who worked with them to actually tell us all about it. Because when we think of the Samaritans, we instantly think of suicide. And when I've talked to Chris briefly, he's saying that isn't always the case. It is there for suicide, but sometimes that is the worst case scenario. So, Chris, thank you very much for coming on, mate. Well, thank and, you very um, much. For... Would you oh, sorry? Would you no, mind please. telling us a little bit about the Samaritans, please? Yes, of course. Well, I've kind of got two hats on, really, because I work for Samaritans and I also volunteer with Samaritans. So it's two quite different kind of roles, really. So in my day job is training railway staff, police officers, uh, platform staff, ticket office staff about what suicidal behaviour might look like and having the confidence to go and do something about it, the confidence to, well, to intervene. There's no bad intervention. There's just no intervention. So um, encouraging people to recognise the signs and to either call it in or go and stand next to that person and say, hi, how are you doing? Um, and also I'm, I'm a volunteer, so um, a shift a week for two, three, four hours, I would be talking to people who are um, perhaps uh, very unhappy, perhaps confused, perhaps depressed and so on. And there's no typical conversation, as you might imagine. We, we speak to someone every six seconds. So the Samaritans talk to someone in distress uh, every six seconds. And as you can imagine, there's no typical caller, really. It, it's pretty diverse. Uh, so we, we pretty much talk to everyone, and we do talk to a lot of blokes. Well, that was my next question, because... As we know, 75% of the suicide is by blokes. But I was going to say, would you class it as mainly women or mainly blokes, or is it literally there in the middle? In terms of the people who are using us as a service, it does, it's very, very close. There's not a massive – It is. it does seem to be more females than males, but not by a massive amount because you said it at the start. Men are talking. Men do use the service. But you're right, 75% of suicide is, is male. And it does seem to be, it's a, simplif it's a very simple answer, but it does seem to be that females have more practice at talking about how they feel. They are more prepared to say, you know, I'm actually really cross about this. Um, whereas blokes are more inclined, and it's a stereotype, but I'd say it's probably, you guys are nodding, it's probably something in this. Blokes are more inclined to keep it in, to pretend it's fine, to be reluctant to ask for help. And it's, it's, it's self-defeating. This whole idea that you can't be strong if you are reaching out for help is, is not accurate, it's not helpful. Well, this is what I keep saying on this show. It's not a weakness to ask for help. It's courage to realise 
that you're in that dire strait of um, battling with anxiety, depression, OCD, and the ultimate suicide takes sheer balls and courage to pick up that phone or to reach out for that counsellor or ask that friend for help. So that's why I want to get you on, to get you talking about. And I, everything you talk about, is it confidential? Is it, do you point people to counsellors? So the vast majority of our interactions with people would be confidential because it's anonymous. We don't know who they are or where they are unless they tell us. And that's fairly unusual. So things like bomb threats clearly wouldn't be something that would be confidential. But we, we're, we are governed by safeguarding like any other organization. So if we have reason to believe someone is at risk and we have, we have the ability to, to do something about it, then that wouldn't be confidential. But the vast majority of, of interactions we have, and that's why people are able to be frank, I think. See, I would, I would encourage your, your listeners to look out for people around them. To, to look out for the people, look out for changes in behavior, look out for people who used to be quite cheerful, and then they've kind of gone into their shell. I think that's worth going up to that person and saying something like, you know, you don't seem to be having a great time at the minute, you know, how are things? And often that first attempt isn't successful, I would say. Maybe the second, third, fourth. Um, so please don't lose heart. If you believe that one of your friends isn't doing great, you know, hang in there because it might be the second third fourth fifth time that they go actually um you know i am not doing brilliantly so i really hope that we kind of in terms of supporting people we recognize that the first two or three times might fall on deaf ears might not be be accepted and you know if people might not be suicidal uh, by chance but they just want to phone up for a talk about um not just like uh, me, me, me dogs chewing up the sofa, but, you know, not, not just like phone up for a chit-chat, but if they want to phone up and say, like, I, I'm not feeling right or I, I'm crying more or I'm more nervous going out of the house, would that be something that the Samaritans could help with? Yes. And, and you actually mentioned a second ago, sorry, I didn't respond to it. You said that would we direct people elsewhere? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's called signposting. But it would never be the first thing we would do. So if someone wants to talk about anxiety or depression and so on, the point of Samaritans is to get someone to explore how they feel. That's really our, our main reason for being. We're an ear. We're a forum. We're a place that people can talk without being judged, without being, um, you know, being told what to do. Most of us are not crazy about being told what to do. So we will listen. And then it may well be that we have a list of signposting organizations like um, Citizens Advice, like Drink Aware, like Bereavement Counseling. And it might well be that one of the last things we do before we finish up, we might well suggest they do that. Their choice, their choice whether they take up that offer or not. And um, really it's in their hands. It's a, but it's, it's a main thing. Samaritans do not give advice. Because what I think is, Great, and my experience when I've been traveling or I've gone to a pub and you just, for whatever reason, you just open your heart to a stranger. Because I, I, I think by doing that, you're not really caring if they judge you. You're not caring if they ever torture you again. But it's that releasing that vowel of just going bump. And then if they give advice or if they just listen, then walk off. But you've had that release. That's, that's pretty much 
one of the reasons that I became a Samaritan is I absolutely believe in what you just said. There is no one who wouldn't benefit from being listened to. Someone on a good day, they would benefit from someone going, and then what happened? Seriously? And then, really? And then what? So, and just again, again, something you mentioned right at the very beginning, it's a really good point. People have it in their heads that Samaritans is a kind of suicide prevention charity. Clearly, we talk to an awful lot of people who might be suicidal, but that represents about 20% of our calls. Something like 80% of people who call us are, sometimes they call us to thank us and say, God, you were brilliant last night. I'm so grateful. Sometimes people call up because the dog is chewing the sofa. That kind of thing, which may seem quite trivial, but we would always kind of dig a bit deep and so, so that the dog's chewing up the sofa. That's, that doesn't sound too great. So tell me a bit more about that. Because it often people will say my toaster blew up or my car got towed. And they'll start off the conversation with something that seems fairly mundane. But you dig a tiny bit deeper and then they find out that there's more behind the scenes, you know. So we would definitely talk to someone who said, God, I'm just feeling a bit flat. Tell me a bit more about that. I feel quite well, actually, because I've had an experience this week with my daughter being in hospital. And I was out, I was driving to, to, to visit her today. And um, I don't usually get road rage. But this person cut, cut me up and it's made me, and usually it wouldn't bother me at all, usually. And I think sometimes you do need to talk about those little incident incidences to get onto the real subject. And it's easier to, to talk about some road rage than it is to talk about something that is really going not right in your life, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to bridge it then. Definitely. We see it time and time again. We have a thing called the emotional health scale, and it's effectively a triangle. And what it says is that if you're at the top of the triangle, we are robust, we are positive, we, are, we can see people around us who care about us, we can see opportunities for support, we can see other people who might need our help. If we are well and healthy and kind of on, on our game, we are quite robust and we can take the knocks. If we're at the bottom of the emotional health scale, maybe our daughter, I'm sorry to hear about your daughter, I hope, she, hope she's doing okay. And then road rage, and then it's kind of like, ah, everything becomes much more difficult to deal with. It's, it's kind of like a domino effect. And any one of those incidences by themselves, COVID, for example, you know, there's an awful lot of people whose lives have become more difficult as a result of lockdown and COVID, for example. But very few people I've spoken to are talking solely about COVID, about their services have been taken away. They can't get to see their doctor. They can't see their families. They couldn't go to a wedding where their daughter was getting married because of lockdown. So, so it's this kind of a knock-on effect of events that might lead to someone in their car grabbing the steering wheel with steam coming out their ears. I can see it. I can see that picture of you yeah we talk about that a lot how it's a knock-on effect yeah i think we spoke about it before on here as well it's almost like you your glass is full and that one little seem little thing just tips tips that glass over you know overfills it yes um but this is what i think women have got us men beat because women will talk about everything they will talk and even if they're just bouncing a ping pong ball against the wall. As long as someone keeps bouncing it back, they'll keep talking. But men, unless it is something massive or we have to have 10 points down our neck or everyone's had to do drugs to make them talk, but we need that thing to just go bump and talk. 
and I, I think that's where the women have got to be because they will they will just talk about bloody everything. I'm a married man, so I, I have them conversations every night. <laughs> Look, I think and there's I think, exceptions to every position, but it does seem to me that females are better at doing their emotional first aid than men. Because I'm very nosy. I was on a train a while ago, and there was someone just here. And within the course of about 20 minutes, she was on the phone to someone in tears, saying what, how difficult her day had been, how no one in her team knows what the hell they're doing. It's gone over budget. It's all dreadful. It's a mess. I'm thinking of walking out tomorrow. It's awful. Then something the other person said obviously made her laugh. And she kind of, you could see her kind of relax a little bit. She seemed to have said all the best. Listen to me. She was bobbing around. I've never seen an equivalent situation of a bloke do their yeah. own kind of emotional massaging, you know? I've seen them kind of sit there in a fury. And this is a sweeping statement, but there's something in it. We need to be better at this. We need to be less reluctant to say, actually, I've had a rotten day. Let me tell you what it was all about. Do you know, do you know, you know what I find hard to do with that? I mean, I don't mind talking. I've, I've, I've come up with my own default saying now, someone asks who I am, and it's up and down, but always forward, you know, because it covers absolutely everything without going into detail. Because I find frustration kicks in with me when you try and unveil what's going on in your head and then oh we all have days like that oh well, i'm having the same kind of day and you think you know what i was just about to basically bear my soul to you because this may save my life and you're there scoring brownie points like you know there's not enough for it to go around you know and that's that's how you met and it it frustrates me I know. And, and I want to believe that the person saying, yes, me too, let me tell you about my day, their intentions are pure, their intentions are good, they want to show solidarity, you're not in this on your own. And I love that idea, it's not just you. But, yeah, no, one of my colleagues said the other day they lost their parent, and someone else said, yeah, I lost both my parents last year. And she's like, I can't compete with that. You got me, you, got, you win. And they hadn't yeah. meant to take the, the, the grief Olympics gold medal away but that is what they've done so there's well, I, definitely I people sorry you carry on well no just just very just very quickly there would definitely be some people who would benefit from a bit of yeah me too but there would be a hundred percent of us who would benefit from oh wow i'm sorry and then what yeah well, i think what you're both saying is that person saying um i lost both my parents what they're trying to do is have empathy, saying, I've been where you are, but they've necessarily said it in the wrong manner. Instead of saying, well, what got me? Or you tell me first, and then I will tell you how I got through it. But it's met with that closed sentence of, here am I, and me. I think sometimes it's the listening that's the problem, you know, and that's where a lot of people do. They, they talk and they interrupt sentences. And then, like you say, it's not... There's no vindictiveness behind it at all. It's just a, it's just the way people are programmed, the way they're used to dealing with things. But if they just take like three minutes just to actually listen and then come at, at least address what the person's telling you and then come at it from your point of view. You know, I think that there's better ways that we can approach conversations that could potentially save lives. I think so. Well, let me just kind of put it in a slightly different way. We have 20,000 volunteers. And within those 20,000 volunteers, there will be heartbreak, there'll be bankruptcy, there will be uh, uh, um, um, successes and will be, you know, all sorts of stuff. And they will be talking to people who are going through something like the, the very self thing. And that's the point we bite our tongue. And that's the point we do not say, oh, wow, that's exactly how I felt when my marriage broke down. And it may be true. 
but we find it infinitely more valuable to say, I can't imagine how you feel about that, even if you think you probably can. Again, my, my foot's in a cast right now. And when people say, oh, yeah, no, my foot's in a cast. Yeah, I know that. I know, I know how you feel. I kind of want to say, well, it's my foot in a cast <laughs> at the moment, not yours. And, and uh, I, I believe they mean well, but I always try and avoid that. Revealing very much yeah, about ourselves. It's a thing called self-disclosure. Samaritans will reveal very, very little about themselves because it's not about us. It's about them. And I think that's that's the, the point. I had a conversation with someone a few years back and I'd had a really difficult year for some reason or other. My dad had nearly passed away and, and this only other and he was really ill. And when I was discussing it to this person I had an appointment with, she was like, oh, you think your year's been bad? Ten years ago, I had this, 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 and I did this. And I said to her, I said, look, with all due respect, I'm not saying, I'm not taking any energy away from your situation, but my problems are real to me. I'm living them and them, them, you know, gargantuan. I'm not taking away from yours. I'm just saying, look, this is how I'm feeling at this this present moment. And it, it was like a comparison and you sort of think, you know, why, why bother? But like you say, I don't think there's anything behind it. I think it's more a case of, like, like Kev said, a bit of empathy. Oh, yeah, I know where you're coming from because of this. So how would you have dealt with that conversation, Chris, if uh, if uh, Craig had said that to you? Well, I, I, we, have a, we have a strategy called reflection, and it really is as simple as that. It's kind of like um, knocking the ball back over the net again. If someone says, I am absolutely whacked out at the moment, and you yourself are exhausted, we would always say, so, you're really tired at the moment. So I would always try and be, and of course the opposite of that is some people are kind of a black hole and everything, you will pick some random topic of conversation and they'll say, yeah, oh, I've never been there. Okay, you haven't really added very much to this conversation particularly, <laughs> but some people can't, can't resist but to make some random thing about themselves. And I understand it, but I would try and fight that hanging on to the ball, I would always gently knock it back, perhaps with exactly the words they've said, you know, so you're having a really rotten year. I'm sorry about that. Please tell me a bit more. I reflect is the key to bounce it back. And that's just to show by using their words and what they say, it's just to reaffirm to them that you've actually listened to what they've said and, and you, you're reflecting back to them. I mean, what's, do you, you know, when you was on about earlier, when you feel that someone that you know is normally bubbly in them in a shell, do you think it's important to just, you know, look at any behavioural changes? Because I, sometimes how I deal with my worst days, I'm bubbly and I'm laughing and I'm trying to make people laugh and joke and, and whatever else. So how I deal with it is looking happier, you know. Yes. So it, it may not be that they've gone in the show, but they're actually a little bit more over-enthusiastic than what they usually are. Very much so. Network Rail, call it watchful waiting. So let's say, I hope you will love your jobs and I hope you will love what you do and so on. Um, but let's say you hate your job and you make a decision to resign, leap into the unknown, who knows what's going to happen. In the short term, the relief of being in a position that you hate and seeing a way out of it. Phew, how wonderful. So this is exactly watchful waiting is someone is themselves then they go into their shell. And sometimes, just like you said, they come back and they're making buns for everyone and they're saying, oh, we're going to bowling later on. And also, that's the time to look out for them because there is a chance that they have made a decision about their life, which means all this debt, I'm going to worry about that in three weeks' time. All of these problems, 
this job I hate, well, very soon, all of this will be in the past. So that's a really, really good point. But I would certainly look out for any kind of behavioral change. Um, because, you know, why are people suddenly snappier, more aggressive, less cheerful, not talking about the allotment, not talking about boxing, not coming to boxing, not doing exercise and stuff? You know, there could be a hundred reasons why that is. But if it's because they are spiraling downwards, someone like you saying, mate, what's on? Yeah, well, how do you not see around so much? What's going on? It can be really, really valuable. Yeah. Aaron, have you got anything you would, you'd like to ask Chris? Yeah, I've got a few questions from May. I'm going to be a little bit greedy, Chris. Um, but firstly, I just want to obviously go back in relation to what you guys have just been speaking about. I think it's such an important skill and often an overlooked one. And I don't think many people actually realise the skill of listening. It's so much more important than talking. We always think that we need to talk a lot more than we listen. And I learned this through social work. Uh, I was a social worker in my last life. And some of the tactics that you use there, like I can't imagine what you've been through. And actually, I think as humans, we have this tendency to want to almost play trumps not not to say our problem is worse it's just the kind of you want to almost feel like there's a commonality there and i had to stop myself especially when i was in social work and through my own podcast and this podcast that when somebody's speaking it's actually it's all about them let's just focus on them almost tunnel vision um, and i think that that's a really useful point that you all touched on there that we should always take forward but i'm just being a bit greedy with a few questions if i may chris the first one is i find myself and again i think maybe because of my emotional state as, as a man, I'm quite an emotional um, guy and a lot of things get to me. So if I hear somebody going through something, I almost feel like that's affecting my life. And as much as I love these conversations and as much as I love trying to put myself out there and say, if anyone ever needs a conversation, by all means, pick up the phone and around the corner. I have to do that, but then I have to disappear from the world again because I almost need to recharge because I find it so difficult constantly being there. So somebody like yourself who by the way, kudos to yourself that you're not just working for the Samaritans, you're also volunteering as well. How do you manage your own mental health? What are you doing that maybe I could do or somebody else could implement to make us able to do this more often? Um, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a similar kind of answer. We have a thing called a debrief. So at the end of every shift, there will be a, a period of time of... So how was you? And there's me, four o'clock in the morning. I've got my bike helmet on. I've got my, my, my bicycle clips on. I'm out the door. They say, how are you, shift? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. How was it? And every single time, you're kind of compelled to come back over the last three hours. You'll say, well, someone did say something weird. What do you make of this? What do you reckon was going on there? Why would they say that? And every single time, I sleep soundly. Because of those few moments of, of decompression, if you like, I don't take it back with me because obviously Samaritans do hear some, some, some pretty dark stuff and there are people who are having a really rotten time. And because of those few moments of, you know, tell you what, ah, this is a tricky shift tonight, you know, flipping neck. Have you had a shift like this where five calls on the bounce were really challenging? And those few moments of talking to someone in a similar kind of position are just, I never, I, I, I've got to be honest, I'm a convert to it. I, I don't need this. I, I, I won't need this. Boy, I absolutely do. Mm. And again, to come back to a really great question, I know what I'm there to do as a Samaritan. I can't rescue everyone. It's just, yeah. you know, I might talk to 200 people a year. You know, I have to do my best for that guy then and there. Just like you do as a social worker, you have to do your best for that particular client and then on to the next one, right? And I hope that doesn't sound mercenary, Not but the training you. is very good. We are there to help people explore their feelings, 
And there are people at the end of it who say, you've made a huge difference to me. And there are people who say, you've done me no good at all. I'm so, I'm so sorry I called you. And that can be pretty crushing to hear someone say that and say, you know, you're not a very good Samaritan, you know. Uh, and and uh, you know it's you have to just dust yourself down and know you did your best and learn from it and then on to the next. So so far, he says after three and a half even years or so, say you haven't done very. Even though they say you might not have been very good, at least they've opened that vowel and just had a moan at you. I think any kind of emotional release has got to be of benefit. So if they're giving yeah. out, I mean, anger is almost an inevitable part of trauma. So if people are giving out, hey, it's 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 steam, right? It's steam coming off, and we have to just kind of accept that some you win, some some you don't win, and but you, we do our best. So we know what we're there for, and if we give people a chance to say, actually, I feel really sad today. To some extent, we have done our performed our role you know anything over and above that is is a bonus but i know that my role is might be fairly limited but to give someone a chance to say i'm all over the place today yeah how come what's been happening today mm. that's the objective and if i perform that objective then i've done my bit and and i've just done my best absolutely absolutely yeah that makes sense i think that makes a lot of sense i think it's it's almost our own expectations on ourselves is because when we can have such a positive impact on somebody, you want to take that positive impact to give it to everybody else struggling. And I think recognizing that we have a finite amount of energy in the day, you know, 24 hours a day. And I think once we can accept that, that obviously helps. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. There's one phrase that I think is, you know, who washes the washing machine? Mm. So, you know, it might well be that you are the guy in your community who says, Aaron, have you got a minute? Because tell you what, you never guess what my son's done. He's only got himself yeah. arrested or whatever the hell it is. And then you go, oh, no, no. And then you you have, you're human, right? So Absolutely. there might be a time where you say, actually, I'm going to turn my phone off for an evening. <laughs> Tonight, I'm going to just watch EastEnders or whatever it is you do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I recommend that. And to be honest, I've, I've started doing that myself in terms of just having to say no or for, for this particular time, I can't just, and it's nothing personal. It's just, I just need to recharge, for example. Um, so yeah, th thank you for sharing that, Chris. And just very quickly, guys, um, apologies for another question was, we, we've all spoken and we, we, the guys here say bravely as well. And, I, and I, I believe it as well, that men should talk, you know, it takes courage. It takes sharing your vulnerability to strength and everything in terms of reaching out to people like yourselves at the Samaritans or wherever. But similar to Craig, I still have that same frustration that sometimes I really want to say something that's on my heart or on my mind and the words just don't come out. I find that when I sit in the room with the three guys there, it's very easy. Um, we're, we're all kind of just, everything's out there. But on a day-to-day -day basis, it's very difficult. And I'm sure for people who don't have this podcast and to be a part of this podcast, they might find it even more difficult. There might not be an answer for this, but is there any tips or tricks or anything you can recommend to somebody who's struggling with that? I mean, even as simple as is there like text forums or anything that because i know I, I can text i can text my wife if i'm having in a bit of a funk but just to say those words i find that very very difficult if that makes sense it does make perfect sense uh, no, and i don't have a perfect formula but i would say that um the more one practices like photography like speaking russian like motorbike maintenance like like frankly anything the more you say it out loud and we have, what happens at samaritans is there's a thing called a snap so there are people who will call us and immediately hang up and they might do that five six seven times on the eighth occasion 
they'll say, not doing great at the moment. And they needed those dummy runs. They needed those kind of um, uh, dry runs to get to the point where they are able to say the words out loud. Mm-hmm. And once, often once they find is it a bit like being sick. Once you start and you're off and you get momentum. <laughs> yeah. Often people find that they are saying all sorts of stuff they didn't know they were going to reveal and it's actually really beneficial to do that. But it's a really good question. There are all sorts of informal, we have, we have text chat now. Uh, we've just started it. So there's ways for people to communicate to us. And, and we've been receiving far more emails recently. Mm-hmm. There are certain people who find it far easier to communicate by getting stuff on a screen than by talking. Brilliant. So um, there are lots, probably never more. There's probably never been more ways to get one's thoughts into Fine. the world than there is now. Brilliant. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Aaron. I think that's kind of like, it's the way people learn as well, how there's different learning, like some are visual learners, some are, you know, audible learners. And I think that's the exact same when it comes to things like this. Like you say, some people may prefer to text or email and have it in print and let them assess their own thoughts before responding. Some may just want it in person. Some may, you know, and what I feel, it's like with the GP, and I always, I don't like to paint any bad picture of the GP because I know they do the best. It's like when I go back, it's sort of, I go there, I meet a dead end, and then I'll go back again, and it's a different doctor, and I've got to start again. And there's sort of no no pickup point. Um, and I feel like that's do you get that with the Samaritans? Do obviously it's anonymous, but do you recognize any people that keep coming back? Keep coming back. And is there a follow-up that the Samaritans do if people wish to? Because sometimes for me it's that first time. Once I go there, if I feel like I've got nowhere, it could take me two years to go back again. Yes, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know how to answer it perfectly, but yes, there was a project last year whereby there was a kind of, towards the end of a call, we would say to people, how would you feel about someone kind of coming back to you? And, and again, please don't quote me on this, but my understanding was as a, as a project, it was, it was well received. And the people did like the idea of someone from our side Coming back to now, whether that's something we're going to carry on with, please don't quote me. I don't know, frankly, but you're quite right. The principle is that um, it is kind of a, a clean slate each time, and some people do find it very frustrating. They'll call us two or three times, say, "Look, I've gone over this with the other guy. Uh, you know, don't you have notes?" And of course, we don't. We 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 have a record of when they called and if they're male, female, and so on. But apart from that, so yeah, it can be very frustrating with something. Do I really need to go over this again? Well, you tell us as much as you feel is necessary. You know, you tell us as much as is helpful. Um, I mean, do you think that might be a beneficial service to be able to come back sort of on a regular basis? I absolutely feel it is because it's like, it, to me, it's like laying a tarmac road. You know, they don't want to lay 60 metres of tarmac road and then next morning they have to come. And before they progress past 60 metres, they've got to redo that first 60 meters so I, I definitely feel there are follow-up procedural some kind of um follow-up is is needed and would be beneficial from if, my point of if uh, they wanted to if they wanted to obviously yeah it's it's down to the discretion of of the caller and whatever but i feel yeah. if the option is there I, i've got a feeling that there's a lot of people that would utilize it i, I know i would sure. also um as a consideration i don't know whether it'd be possible but actually having the same person call you as well because you, yeah. you build a rapport with that person 
Absolutely. So, so let's yeah. just um, what we do have is that certain callers are on a plan, and they would be on a um, they would be kind of supported, probably not by the same volunteer each time, but perhaps by the same branch each time. So it might well be that um, people are on a kind of a, 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 a schedule of three or four calls a week or something along those lines. So there are ways we can kind of individually support people. Uh, but um, actually, having said all of that, I think one of the things that is advantageous to people is that they can frankly share and reveal as much as they kind of choose to. And a lot of people find it, well, again, we talk about you, if you have a friend who's struggling, it can be quite tough to come to your brother or your uncle or your neighbor and say, Actually, I'm not doing great. Because they might say, so you spent all the money on a horse. So all the, all the mortgage money has gone to, on, on this horse that, that came last, where you're a moron, which you wouldn't say to a complete stranger. So I, I, I kind of quite like the fact that, and I think people get benefit from the fact that there, it is fresh and a clean slate. And, and, but there are people who are certainly supported regularly through uh, being on a plan, yeah. And I think some people feel better if I'm just talking to Chris, but Chris, it's with Aaron who shares it with Lee, who shares it with Craig. You know what I mean? I think sometimes if I'm just talking to that stranger every time, he knows nothing about me, so I can be completely honest. And that's the sense I get. Now, of course, I've no idea how frank people are with me. They might be telling me stuff that's not genuine, but my very strong sense is that there's no point calling up Samaritans and not being frank, not being genuine. There's no, it's kind of... It's kind of redundant, really. So my very strong sense is that people are sharing stuff with us into a void, if you like, about their childhood or about their sexuality or self-harm or drugs or whatever, be because it is completely without jeopardy, without, without, um, you know, uh, uh, without any kind of judgment or, um, you know, frankly. Now, just changing the question slightly, have you found through the, like the last however months, I've, I can't even remember this. Well, let's just call it this year. Have you noticed a massive spike in the phone calls? Oh gosh, again, I'm not. I'm not a rep. I can't tell you exactly. My understanding is that we are receiving a very similar amount of phone calls. We're receiving far more emails, which I think is very interesting. And there could be a host of reasons why that is the case. But we are receiving a very similar number of, of phone calls with about two-thirds of our volunteers because an awful lot of our volunteers the demographic is 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 probably older than the average age of the population so a lot of us have been isolating or or uh, you know in in not coming into the center so um it's it's felt busy because it's well every six seconds like i said so it's busy yeah were you saying about the emails that made me almost smile because most of you for today forget the phones are for talking on so everyone's emailing and text messaging. So I imagine that is busier. We have to use the methods people use to communicate with each other. So, you know, something like 1,200 people write to us every year. So how wonderful. People are putting a stamp on a letter and putting it in the, in the mailbox. My feeling is we'll probably receive fewer letters. But like I said, we have web chat now. And um, like I said, I'm not going to speculate as to why we're receiving more emails than we were. But I've got some idea of why that might be. And... We have to use the methods that people are comfortable with. And, yeah, you're right. Young people do not use the phone to talk with, do they, a lot of the time? 
So that that is brilliant for people uh, who are listening now. And if uh, they don't feel comfortable, as we've talked, I mean, I'm one of life talkers, as you imagine. But like Aaron, as you've said earlier, you prefer to text and to. So if it was for someone like Kevin Dillon, I could pick up the phone and talk. But if it's someone like Aaron, he could then write you an email. And I was unaware. I just thought the Samaritans was just a, a phone call. Well, under normal circumstances, of course, the branches will have an office and people can walk in and have a cup of tea and a biscuit and sit down for 20 minutes, half an hour and have a bit of a chat. So there's also that opportunity for people. Um, but yes, obviously, the vast the vast number of, of, of people are calling us on the phone. and um, But sometimes people write a lot of email and they, they write and they, they need to find that outlet. Yeah. Well, I found that really interesting. Have you got any questions you'd like to ask, Chris? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know a bit more about the volunteer side of it, really. To, hopefully, there's people who's listening who'd like to volunteer. Can you go into the a bit about the training you receive and, and, and how you get started volunteering? Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. I mean, there's a branch finder on Samaritans.org, and there will be a branch near. There, I couldn't tell you how many branches we've got in your area, but it's a lot. And... Uh, we there's something like a seven or eight week kind of initial training period. And the training is very, very, very good because it really kind of gets you into the culture of what Samaritans is there. We're not there to rescue. We're not there to advise. We're not there to reassure. Again, that, that's kind of quite interesting. If you talk to someone who's breaking their heart, the, 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 the temptation might be to tell them everything is going to be fine and, of course, you're going to pass your exams and, of course, you're not going to, you know, she's not going to break up with you and all the rest of it. And, again, we have to bite our tongue at that point because it's empty. And the training really kind of gets you ready for that kind of thing. And people say things like, you know, I've told you the situation. I should finish with him, shouldn't I? Now, from what that person has said, I'm not going near that with a barge pole. Yeah. So the, the training is very, very good, and it talks about things like safeguarding and policy and procedure and and kind of keeping everyone safe, really. And then there's a certain amount of, of kind of mentoring, so listening into calls um, kind of over the shoulder of your kind of trainee. And then um, once they have a certain number of, of mentored shifts, then we are flying solo. And, you know, every single time you get a call, your kind of heart's going a bit. Even with people who've been volunteers for 40, 50 years, every call's a new call. You never know what you're quite going to get. So this one might be the call that kind of has you really flummoxed and you kind of go, never heard that before. So we fall back on the training, which is very, very good, which is about, well, reflecting and listening back and not being afraid of – imagine me not being afraid of silence. But if I'm on the phone in the mid at midnight – Believe me, I do. I, I keep my mouth shut. Um, and we, we learn to do all of that stuff when the training. Yeah, so I really would encourage people if they're interested. I I'm not sure there's a more worthwhile way you can spend your evenings, really, than a couple of hours in a branch listening to people who are down, you know, frustrated, angry, sad, isolated. And there's every chance at the end of that phone call you will hear them sound better, more relaxed, a bit more you know, kind of having been listened to. So I really would encourage people to listen to, to investigate if they were interested. Okay, thank you very much. Um, we do have a question from one of our listeners. I'll just bring that up now. So Charlene Plant, do people of all ages contact the Samaritans' children? Yes, 
Yes, they do. And after a certain amount of time talking to someone who is very clearly, I think it's under 18, we might signpost them to Childline. But if they've called us, um, we listen. And of course, it's quite difficult to tell how old people are. We don't ask. It's, one of the, it's not one of the questions we ask. So we would never really know how old someone is, but we might get a sense that someone is, is younger. Um, but we listen. Yes. And, and um, it would be fascinating to know the demographic of the people who call us. It is very, very broad. Yes. Well, very, just, very to, uh, just to come on to that one, we, uh, next week we've got um, Papyrus coming on, and that is a suicide hotline for uh, younger people. I don't know what age that falls into. I don't know if it's under 25, 21, but they will be coming on next week to tell us all the wonderful things they're doing. Um, Craig, is there anything you'd like to say? To yeah, I'd, I'd like to say, I don't know how far we are from the end, but I'd just like to reiterate what Aaron said as well, is, is thank you to people like yourself, because it, it can't be easy to, like you say, bite your tongue and keep listening to problems and, and whatever else and people's gripes and moans and, and what's making them sad, what's making it, you know, it can't be easy. So to have people like you guys there, you know, I think it's you're definitely a service to to humanity, and I think that we need more people like you guys, you know. And, and people should not be afraid to either utilize you guys that are there, or like you say, sign up and and help for a couple hours every other weekend or or whatever you need to do. So thank you. You're very kind. Thank you. I mean, the thing is that with volunteers, we wouldn't do it unless we got something from it ourselves. Let's be completely frank about this. You know, life is short, and you know we've all got stuff going on outside of this. And none of us would do it if it were, if it weren't meaningful. So it's an honour, you know, it's a real privilege to be in a position to talk to people who have just had the worst day ever, and they've looked around, and they've got no one. Well, they haven't got no one; they've got us. So it's it's you're very kind, and I think you've 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 polished my ego far too much. We do it because we <laughs> we, we we get uh, you know we get something from it. So it's a real privilege to talk to people who are having a rotten time. May I ask a question, though, Chris? What what got you into it? Oh, gosh, it's a long story. But the gist of it is I used to arrange the courses I now deliver. And I said to my other half, who's just here, she said, well, of course, you can't work for Samaritans unless you've been a volunteer, which isn't actually technically true. Nonetheless, it's the wisest thing she's ever said to me. And that day I did what I was encouraging your guys to do, go on Samaritans.org, branch finder. Turns out there's a branch a mile down the road. So that day I got onto the training and I saw how beneficial it was. I saw how railway people made interventions after having done the training. I mean, that's a pretty good day, right? If someone you trained talks someone to safety, now how much apart, you know, we play in that, I have no idea, 2%, who knows, half a percent, I've no idea. But that's just the best job ever. Um, and so uh, it was it was the other way around. I became a volunteer. And then the job came up within Samaritans. And uh, I was able to talk about, uh, you know, uh, well, like we talked about earlier on, kind of how the Samaritans works. And it, and it didn't hurt to get the job, which is the best job. I can't tell you how lucky I am. So lucky to I do think, this job. I think that's, that's a good thing to note, is that all the fool's gold in the world it does not amount to the fulfilled life you live when you know you're helping somebody else, you know, save a life or even just break the, the you know, the, the day up for somebody that may be having a tough time. You know, you'll live a much more fulfilled life. And, you know, again, hats off to everybody involved in the Samaritans. 
Well, you're very. I mean, again, this volunteering is one of the rare things that everyone wins. I mean, everybody wins. The volunteer wins. The community wins. The organisation wins. It's just, it's just a no, no lose situation. So, um, uh, you know, again, you're very kind, but again, I wouldn't do it if I didn't get, you know, meaning, meaning from it. So. Now, if anyone would like to reach the Samaritans, as always, as in all of our shows, all the details are at the bottom of this, uh, on the things that I have no idea about. One one six one two three. Twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, every day. Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Boxing Day, always free. Even if you've got no credit on your phone, that call will get through to us. So it's it's always confidential, and like I said, under no circumstances. But um, yeah, we're there every day, New Year's Day, Christmas Day. Now, Chris, um, before I end the show, is there anything else you'd like to say about um, anything? I oh, know, just um, black country blokes. I mean, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're spreading the word, and it's brilliant. So I'm so very grateful for you um, having me on. Thank you very much indeed. Just, I mean, I'm actually going to quote Kev back to him. I love oh, what he said to me the other day. Quote. Don't use your quote yet. Hang on, hang on. I'm just going to advertise next week's show. <laughs> so next week, as I say, we've got Bally coming on from Papyrus. Papyrus. Try and get the words right. Hopefully, I don't mix it up next week. And as I said earlier, Papyrus is a, a hotline that's once again advertised on our show notes that deals with young suicide and how terrible it is. But once again, another wonderful organisation coming on next week to tell us all the great things they do. So, Chris, over to you for a quote that's either helped you or that uh, the Samaritan support. Well, now I'm going to give you two for one. My first one is I'm going to quote you back to you. You said, I'd rather lose a friend than lose a friend. So I hope we have the confidence and the courage. If you've got someone whose behavior is different, you know, it takes it takes a deep breath to do that, especially if it's someone you, you kind of know a little bit. And, you know, it can be tricky to kind of, what if they tell you they're not okay? Ah, you ask the question, right? You've opened the can of worms. You've got to kind of do something about it now. So I really hope that we have the confidence to say, look, I'm a bit concerned. You don't seem to be quite, you know, yourself at the minute. And if you need to pass that on to somebody else, some other organisation, well, hallelujah. You know, you're not there to rescue every situation, but that, just a bit concerned. That has saved lives. That The, the, the deep breath and said, this is the third time I'm asking him, but I'm still quite concerned. And, and the other point is, it's okay not to be okay and the whole idea that blokes have got to be strong and self-sufficient and never ask for help is, is, is kind of a bit outdated and might not be terribly helpful. So I think we can learn a lot from our female counterparts who are far more re ready to say, you know, let me tell you about what's been going on with me because it's, you know, because I need to talk about it. So that's really it. And um, thank you so very much for, for having me on. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Now, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you. So, gang, until we talk next time, take care of yourselves and each other. To a bit. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page, and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, tarot a bit. Listen, listen, listen.